listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Today I want to talk about four things that you might have in common with a Pharisee. Four signs that you might be morphing into a Pharisee and how to stop it. Four signs that you might be morphing into a Pharisee and how to stop it. In Luke chapter 11 verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The ESV does not put the definite article there. I wish they did. The original Greek doesn't have a the, but it's implied. Here's a perfect example of how a literal translation sometimes is missing a nuance in the English. There should be a the there. I wish they put it there. So don't let that hang you up. You get a little bit of familiarity now with the original language of what it would look like. There's no definite article in the Greek. Did you get your Greek lesson for today? You happy? All of us who are scholars and studying the original Greek, happy now? Can I get an applause from you? You happy? Good. Okay. Now you know why it's a little bit wooden, okay? But it's accurate. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, the scribes, the scribes and the Pharisees would hang out together. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, forgive me, I didn't mean to do that. No, he doesn't say that. He said, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. How'd you like to be at this dinner party? From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation, probably a reference to 2 Chronicles 24.20, This person named Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. You can read that at a later time yourself. 2 Chronicles 24, 20. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, I guess dinner's over, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. We see the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees continuing. 6,000 of these characters in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, 6,000 of them. Today, we have millions, although they might not have the title. See, if you're a Bible-believing, evangelical, born-again Christian, you have more in common with the Pharisees than you might realize. If you are a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, you have more in common with the Pharisees than you might at first realize. Do you believe in immortality? That after a person dies, they are going to live eternally in an afterlife, either the righteous, those who please God in the presence of God, or the unrighteous in an eternity separate from Him? So did the Pharisees. Do you believe in angels and the spirit world? That they're real? The Bible teaches that angels are ministering spirits sent to help those who will inherit salvation, believers. If you believe that, you have common ground with the Pharisees. They believe that too. Do you believe in the providence of God, that God is sovereign over all that is happening in the course of the world and yet allowing free will, your choices, my choices, the choices of millions of people to take place, and yet not one of them thwarts the providence and the sovereignty of God. If you believe that, so did the Pharisees. Are you politically neutral? Do you make your decisions at the polling booth based on whether or not a candidate and the candidate's positions are in line with what the Bible teaches? Or do you vote straight party? If you are politically neutral and you make your decisions, which is imperative to do these days, based on whether or not a candidate and their positions support what the Bible teaches or is contrary to it, if you do that, if you base your political decisions on neutrality based on the Word of God and where that candidate falls, so did the Pharisees. That's what they did as well. And finally, The Pharisees held very dearly to the Word of God. They prioritized the Word of God. They had the Word of God memorized. They valued the Word of God. Pharisees sound a lot like evangelical born-again Christians, don't they? We have a lot in common. So if you believe those things, you are already well on your way to being exactly like a Pharisee. And so the Bible-believing, born-again Christian, whether you're listening by podcast or you're listening right now live, you have to be especially careful of the slope you might be sliding down. Many people have gone down the wrong slope, slipping and sliding, never intending to get to the bottom of where it leads, but nonetheless, they have slipped They had slid, and they found themselves in a position that they never would have woken up in the morning and said, I want to get there by the end of the day. Look with me at verse 37. When Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. 
This was a ceremonial washing, a ritual washing according to the teachings of the Pharisees. It was required to wash your hands to make sure you were not ceremonially unclean, not even to consider the fact that Jesus could have been interacting with a multitude of people and had been just been had a fistful of bacteria. That's not the real issue here. The issue is ceremonial, ceremonial cleanliness. And Jesus is allowing himself to sit down at the table for a meal and run the risk of defiling, ceremonially defiling everybody at the table. What is up with Jesus? Jesus, you know that you are the dinner guest for these Pharisees. You know what the Pharisees believe. You know the heart of every single Pharisee. You knew full well that by not washing, you were going to potentially alienate yourself from these Pharisees. And we get a very clear picture that Jesus is very confident in his identity. Jesus is not concerned about the opinions of men. Jesus is concerned about his opinion because he is God. And Jesus is always in the process of taking people from their familiarity, their common ground, what they are understanding about God, where they are in their walk with God, and bringing them to the place of where they need to be in their walk with God just like you should be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Opening the Word of God, looking at the Word of God, processing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and asking God, what is next for me in my spiritual journey? You've got to be asking God, God, what is next for me in my maturing process with you? Yes, I know certain things about you. Yes, I'm familiar with you in certain ways, but I don't have the familiarity that I should have. I don't have the knowledge that I should have. Lord, take me from where I am to where you want me to be. That is the heart cry of a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we see how Jesus conducts himself elsewhere throughout Scripture with absolute clarity, Jesus is not being foolish here. Jesus is being absolutely strategic. He knew not only their hearts, but he knew that this would cause the topic of the dinner conversation. What a dinner party this must have been like. Jesus insulting the hosts royally right out of the gate. The food has probably not even been set before them, or if it has, it's, it's warm and steaming, and you can smell the aroma of it right now. And Jesus gets to the table, and obviously there's a snafu here. Jesus is not afraid at confronting even the people of the greatest status because even people in the greatest positions of influence, greatest positions of leadership must be confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, must be confronted with the reality of our own sinfulness, must be confronted with the reality that we need somebody apart from ourselves to do with us, in us, to us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Even the richest, most influential leader on the face of this earth still needs God to come in and save the day on their behalf. And aren't you thankful that Jesus is not afraid to confront 
Aren't you thankful that Jesus is not afraid to present himself in all of his beauty, in all of his splendor, in all of his magnificence, so that right before our very eyes is the need? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us for a while, and here he is, sitting, reclining, probably laying down a little bit at the table with the Pharisees, showing them that you, leaders of the nation of Israel, you who are so familiar with the Word of God, you who believe in immortality, you who believe in angels, you who believe in the spirit world, you who believe in the afterlife, you who believe in the providence of God and the free will of man, you who believe in all of these things, still are far from the kingdom of God. I'm right here at your table. You're serving me a meal. I came at your invitation. Here I am. You wanted me here. Here I am. But are you listening? Are you listening to me? Is your heart open to me? Or is it just a religious set of practices? Is it just a ritual motion that you're going through? Here is the Word became flesh in their presence, at their table, having a meal with them. And they are completely blind, completely hard of heart. How do we know that the Pharisees are upset with what Jesus does by not washing his hands? We don't have a comment from any of the Pharisees in the beginning. Wasn't necessary because Jesus knew their hearts just like he knows all of our hearts. He knows our hearts. In verse 39, the Lord said to him, here we go. Now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Wow. How is it possible for somebody who's got the equivalent of a PhD in Bible to be a fool? Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. The first thing you need to be careful of in your potential slippery slope toward becoming a Pharisee. You need to be very careful that you don't become gradually concerned and consumed about your outward appearance at the neglect of personal, inner, secret purity. See, the Pharisees looked good on the outside. Elsewhere, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside and yet what did the Pharisees do they caved the opinion of men they caved to the opinions of themselves be very careful that you are not impressed with yourself be very careful that you don't begin to subtly Gradually believe that other people's opinions of you are important. See, man's opinion of God is fluid. It changes. It ebbs and flows. But God's opinion of man is fixed. It never changes. And these Pharisees were characterized by having an outward religious religiosity, legalism, at the neglect of personal inner purity. 
They did not prioritize the purity, the inner purity, the character that Jesus confronts them with as being absolutely paramount. How can you be somebody who knows the Bible so well and neglect character? Aren't you glad that you don't struggle with that? Aren't you glad that you never forget the importance of personal inner purity? Or are you like me? Or you continually need to be reminded that that is the human tendency. Your tendency and mine, my tendency and yours, is to gradually morph into becoming like a Pharisee and not even realize it. We must be careful that we do not neglect the most important thing as a follower of the living and true God that everything we do must be an overflow of everything we are. Character counts. Jesus attacks them in the areas of greed and wickedness. Greed and wickedness. It's possible to look outwardly godly and on the inside to be godless. It's possible to be led by the flesh instead of led by the Holy Spirit. You know what you live with. You know who you live with. And I'm not only speaking about a spouse or children or parents. I'm talking about the body that you live in, which is not eternal, but your spirit is. Your spirit will live forever. Some people debate about whether it's the spirit and the soul. I don't want to get into a whole debate about that. The unseen part of who you are is the most real part of who you are. And what is unseen by man is seen by God. Your character, your attitude toward people, your attitude toward the things that people have, the places that people are going is a reflection of your true and abiding intimacy or lack of intimacy with God. Be careful that you don't slip and slide down that slope of Phariseeism and become like those who outwardly looked pretty good, but inwardly were full of greed and wickedness. Jesus doesn't need to give a list of the particular types of wickedness because it's, he's painting with a broad brush It's a big umbrella, wickedness is, you can know how to fill in the blank with what wickedness is. It's possible to look good on the outside and neglect what God wants to change on the inside. Be careful you don't find yourself morphing into the way a Pharisee lives, the way a Pharisee was, and focus more on the outside than the inside. God's work is always from the inside out. If you will allow God, watch this, if you will invite God to do a work on the inside of you, number one, you won't care what people think about you when they look at you on the outside. Number one, you'll be free from human opinion. Number two, everything you do will be transformed 
because what you do is an overflow of who you are. God's work is always from the inside out. It's always from the inside out. Man's work is always from the outside in. In fact, we never get around to the inside, do we? We're not really concerned about the inside as long as we look good on the outside. And what Jesus helps us understand is that God is patently concerned about the innermost workings of your heart, my heart, your mind, my mind. Righteous living begins with righteousness on the inside. And the first nail in the Pharisees' coffin is that they weren't righteous on the inside, even though they were practicing the Old Testament, even though they had the Old Testament memorized all 613 of the do's and don'ts, do this, don't do that, parts of the law, those commandments from Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi, understood it, they were experts, the scribes, the lawyers that are referred to here. When the scribe, the lawyer, comes to, to, comes to the aid of the Pharisees, says, hey, what's the matter for you, Jesus? What about us? You're insulting them. You're including us. We're in bed with the Pharisees, spiritually speaking. We're the ones who write what they teach. When you say these things to them, you're insulting us. And Jesus says, I say them to everybody. I hold no favorites. In the presence of Jesus, it's a level playing field. Jesus pulls no punches. Jesus is not impressed. Aren't you grateful that Jesus is not impressed with anything that man can do? He's only impressed with himself as he rightly can be because he's God and he's true and he's pure. And therefore, you should only and always be impressed only with the things that God does, only with the person and the works of Jesus. Be careful. You don't miss what the Pharisees missed lest you become like a Pharisee that you don't miss the most important thing in your life a work of righteousness on the outside that overflows from the inside. Who you are in the innermost recesses of your being is eternally important to God. Number two, look what Jesus does in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is not saying that tithing is wrong. He's saying, yes, tithe. However, what about your own life? Notice that he brings up justice. What is justice? It's treating other people in a way that is honoring to God. Isn't it amazing how the closer we get to God, the more we know his word, it becomes impossible to go on treating people in the same way we have a natural tendency to do. The more the Word of God gets into us, and I mean gets into us the way it must, not just at a mental level. The more the Word of God gets into us, the more the God of the Word gets into us, the more the God of the Word gets into us, the more we begin to treat people differently. The Pharisees were not concerned with their treatment of people. And the irony, the hypocrisy, is that they gave alms to God. They tithed. 
They went through religio- ritualistic behavior in their worship and service to God. And Jesus says, you're neglecting the most important thing. See, if you're a Pharisee, you had more of a love for the word of God than a love for the God of his word. You know, I love Awana. I'm thankful that my children are part of Awana. I'm thankful for what we do here at Grace Fellowship. And if you are a parent or a guardian and you have children and they're not yet part of Awana, I encourage you, I plead with you to get your children involved in Awana because in our Awana program, we help young children memorize the Word of God. But you know, that's not what we're really trying to do. Listen. What we're really trying to do with Awana is help our children love the God of his word. And oh, how easy it is to forget that that's our objective. Oh, how easy it is to forget that the purpose of hearing solid Bible teaching is not so that you become knowledgeable about the word of God. The Pharisee is very knowledgeable about the Old Testament. In fact, most Pharisees back in Jesus' day would put most evangelicals in our day to shame with their knowledge of the Bible. Knowledge of the Bible will not cause you to fall in love with the God of the Bible. You must be deliberate in taking the Bible and applying it and practicing it as your love for God. Knowing the Bible is your starting point. Knowing the Bible enables you to love the God who gave us the Bible. It is possible, as the Pharisees teach us, to know the Word of God inside and out, to have it memorized, to have it as a mental exercise, and yet not to love the God of the Bible. Be careful. Be careful that you do not confuse knowing the Bible with loving God. Knowing the Bible gives you an opportunity, it gives me an opportunity to now put into action the Word of God and to make the love of God the number one pursuit in life. Your number one pursuit in life is not to memorize the Bible. Your number one pursuit in life is to love the God of the Bible. Therefore, you will hide his word in your heart because if you hide the word of God in your heart, you will be able to love and worship a God that you know. So you have to be careful. I have to be careful. The slippery slope of morphing into a Pharisee that you don't confuse simply knowing the word of God with knowing the God of his word. Be careful. Be very, very careful because the tendency is that we become this third thing that the Pharisees suffered from. Look with me in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The third thing, sign that you might be morphing into a Pharisee that needs to stop is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. God has given you a platform as a follower of Jesus Christ. Every follower of Jesus has a platform. You're called to be salt and light. 
a factor of influence in whatever circle God has given you. God has given you a platform, salt and light. You change the flavor of the the environment that you're in. You overcome the darkness. God overcomes the darkness of whatever situation you're in through sending you, by sending you there, salt and light. You are a leader. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Can we say that together? Leadership is influence. And what the Pharisees did is that they used their position to be positioned in the material world and therefore they lost the platform they should have had. John chapter 13, look with me at our Father's word. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. This is where John the gospel writer records what happened at the Last Supper without recording the Last Supper. How in the world could you miss the Last Supper? Because something else happened at the Last Supper that the Apostle John was enamored with that blew his circuits. And he had to write about it, probably knowing that the other apostles recorded it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he records this instance of the foot washing. That's what's in John chapter 13. You don't have the Last Supper in John chapter 13, but this foot washing took place at that same event. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As a church grows, it's easy to be deceived as to why the church grew. As God takes you from the platform you currently are in and gives you more responsibility, it's easy to be deceived into thinking that you had something to do with it other than getting out of the way. See, the person that God uses is the person who gets out of the way. If you will make it your ambition, can I say this in church? Get the heck out of God's way. Can I say that? I just said it. If you make it your ambition to get out of God's way, God will continually give you more and more opportunity to keep the main thing, the main thing, to make the main thing, the main thing, which is to exalt the person of Jesus Christ. Why is it that Jesus demonstrates being a servant so excellently and we miss it so royally. True maturity and being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you really follow Jesus Christ, that I really, not theoretically, but I really follow Jesus Christ. And if Jesus outserved everybody on the planet, 
giving the ultimate example of what it means to serve as a leader. Then if you are serving God as a leader in the platform that God has given you, you've got to be careful of the slippery slope of spiritual pride. Thinking that God has given you a platform to position yourself in the material world to get the best seat, to be praised by the people. You know, there are a lot of people who are being praised by other people, and yet God knows something is missing. Look with me at 1 Timothy in chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise you. Let no one despise you for your youth. Paul talking to Timothy, the guy that he was building into discipling and mentoring as a leader in the church. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. You know, what you say with your mouth does matter. People are listening. Set the believers an example in conduct. How you live your life does matter to God. Other people are watching your life, following you as you follow Christ, not following you because you're not following Christ. Look with me. Let's put that back up here. Setting the believers an example in conduct, in love. Can other people look at you and say, I want to be like you because you love the way a follower of Jesus would be expected to love. Set the believers an example in faith. Are you a person who believes that God can do in you, with you, to you, and through you what you can't do for yourself? Is your life characterized by faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. Are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? And finally, in purity. Set the believers an example in purity. From the inside out, the Pharisees concerned with outward purity. God always concerned with inner purity. God is always concerned with inner purity. Our outward purity doesn't even get God's attention. At least it doesn't do it in a positive way. The third way that you could be morphing into a Pharisee and not even realizing it is that you begin to subtly believe what other people say about you. Be careful you don't believe what other people say about you. It's not true. What other people think about you is not true because it's half the story. You know, to tell a half-truth is to tell a whole lie, correct? What people see about you on the outside is only half true at best about what's really going on in you, what you're really like. The truth is that you and I, every single one of us on our best day, are sinners saved by grace in every good deed that comes out of our mouth, every good word, every good action with our hands, every good choice that we make is because God enabled us to make that right choice. Left alone, we are like pigs in the mud. We will not make the right choices. We will not say the right things. We will behave in ways that contradict the nature, the character, the goodness of God. So you've got to be careful of spiritual pride. You've got to be careful, every single one of us. And fourthly, look at verse 44 in Luke chapter 11. Woe to you, Jesus says. You are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. The idea is that if you walked over 
the body of a dead person, you became ceremonially unclean. Do you know on the eastern wall of the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem to this day, there used to be a gate there leading up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. I saw it when I was there years ago. There used to be a gate there that has been rocked up. It's been plugged up because the Muslims want to keep Jesus from going through that gate when he returns because Jesus, the Bible says, lands on the Mount of Olives and makes his way toward Mount Moriah where the temple, where the temple is. And so the Muslims years ago plugged up that eastern gate so that Jesus couldn't get through it. They don't know about John's gospel where Jesus easily goes through doors and windows without having a problem. And they put in a cemetery there, knowing that any devout Jew would not make themselves unclean by crossing over dead men's bones. But here, Jesus didn't wash his hands. See, it does come down to knowing what the Bible really says. What we learn here about the Pharisees is that it's possible to be right there in the presence of Jesus and to miss Jesus all along. It's possible to be blind to Jesus. It's possible to not see that you must be saved by Jesus and you must be sanctified by Jesus. Saved and sanctified by Jesus. Here they were, lovers of the law, and they did not love the lawgiver, God himself. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, look at the word of God with me. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Pharisees had a problem. They thought that by works of the law, they were being made righteous. But the word of God teaches us, as from the, the, the writing instrument of the Apostle Paul, a recovering Pharisee. See, that's what you and I really are. We're recovering Pharisees. Paul helps us understand that by no works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law, to recognize our sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. These guys, Pharisees, should have recognized that the the one of whom the law and the prophets was speaking about was sitting there at their table having a meal with them and they couldn't see him. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. God doesn't play favorites. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And by the way, the Greek word for all means all. And are justified by his undeserved favor, his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, talking about the cross, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sin. Fourth way you could become a Pharisee, you could be morphing into a Pharisee and not even realize it, is thinking that you have a righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. 
thinking that your progress in your walk with God is due to what you're doing rather than what God is doing. See, your story must be God's story or it's not God's story. And if it's not God's story, then you have robbed him of his glory. The greatest thing you can do with your life is get out of the way and let God tell his story through you. Let he who began a good work on you be faithful to do what he wants to do, bring to completion what he started. And what God did is while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you and gave you a new life. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, that's what he's done. And not only that, but God raised you up and seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 2 says that clearly. Ephesians chapter 2. You now have not only a new identity, but a new position of favor with God. And that's that position that God gave to you. You didn't give it to yourself. That enables God to do in you, with you, to you, and through you what you could not do for yourself in getting saved and what you can't do for yourself in being sanctified, set apart so that your life continually changes, continually becomes more and more like the life of Jesus Christ. See, if you're not careful, if you are not careful, you will not make God's priority your priority. Number one, if you want to not be like a Pharisee, you've got to focus on the inside of who you are, your character, because that's God's priority. The way to stop your metamorphosis into becoming a Pharisee is to not do what the Pharisees did, focusing on the outside, focus on the inside. God's work is always from the inside out. It's always from the inside out. God's work is always a work of purity. On the inside out, God's work is always a work of character. If you want to stop your metamorphosis into becoming a hypocritical religious person who doesn't understand the power of God, then you must make the priority of your life what God's priority is, and that is a work of purity from the inside out. Can I get an amen for that? Number two. If you want to stop your metamorphosis into becoming more and more like a Pharisee and you want to become more and more like the man of God that God has for you, more and more like the woman of God that God has for you, more and more like the boy or girl of God that God has for you, then you have got to not just be in love with the Word of God, but understand that the Word of God is your best chance to be a lover of the God who gave you His Word. Can I get an amen for that? The objective of studying the Scriptures is to love the God who gave us the Scriptures. Don't be like a Pharisee and love the Word of God at the expense of loving the God of His Word. Be careful. The more you know God's Word, yes, I love the Word of God, but I love the Word of God because it teaches me how to love the God of His Word. That's why I love the Word of God. One of the biggest regrets I have in my life, can I be brutally naked before you? That's a scary imagery, isn't it? <laughs> biggest regrets I have in my life is not getting into the Word of God more because you know what I missed out on? Not scripture memorization. I missed out on how I could have been loving and enjoying God all this time 
All this time I'm missing out on loving God and knowing him because I didn't prioritize the word of God. Be careful you don't think that just because you know the word of God that you're going to love the God of the word. You've got to make it your ambition to not be a Pharisee. You've got to make it your ambition to understand that the purpose of study, the purpose of meditation is to love the God of his word. That's how you stop the slip into becoming a Pharisee. And again, the third thing you need to do, recognize that your platform, the platform that God has given you is not for a place of priority seating among the masses. It is to use your platform to promote the person of Jesus Christ. Not for any other reason. Use the platform that God has given you. Would you please use the platform that God has given you to promote the only king and the only kingdom that will endure forever, the kingdom of God? Can I get an amen for that? And finally, you must realize what the Pharisees did not realize. If you're going to stop the slippery slide into becoming more and more like a Pharisee, you've got to recognize what they would not recognize, what they did not recognize, that salvation is right before your very eyes. Salvation is right before your very eyes, and his name is Jesus. And not only is salvation before your very eyes, but all of the work of God, all of the work of God is the work of God, not you. That you depend upon God to get you saved, to forgive you of all of your sins because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that led him to say, it is finished, it's finished. There's nothing that can be added to that, nothing that can be taken away. You get saved by personal faith in Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness that comes from God, and you get sanctified by the work of Christ, by the provision of the Holy Spirit that God gives to you as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. When God guarantees something, he delivers on what he guarantees. You didn't realize you needed somebody to help you live a sanctified life, but God did. You didn't realize you needed a savior, but God did. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Aren't you thankful that God saw your need and met that need completely, totally, through Jesus Christ? Glory to God. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.